Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. show and our latest dive into the listener questions mailbag today we're looking at a unique spin on the usmnt coaching pool we're making changes to the us open cup and we're looking at cristiano ronaldo's next move Mm, very exciting my name's ryan bailey joining me today your friend and mine your caffeine friend and mine taylor rockwell who was just told us some very big news he's gonna get a haircut today i'm very excited for you taylor We're talking about my my caffeine and coffee habits. Now we're talking about my grooming. It's just it's just a lot of information that people probably did not need, but are getting anyway. You're welcome. Very domestic start to the show, Taylor. Um, I think so. I think we, so. We also had a discussion about the frequency with which we typically get our hair cut, and I have mm. I've stunned the group by saying every three to four months. Um, I can't tell if that stunned the group because that's a really like long time to go without getting your hair cut, or because. It seems like a really long time for Ryan Bailey to go without getting a haircut. And I, maybe it's both, but I think Ryan, Ryan seems like in our time in New York, I wouldn't say fastidious, but I feel like you like things a certain way, and I feel like mm-hmm. your hair would be part of that. That's potentially true. Uh, I've also had, had run into challenges of having someone who cuts my hair who doesn't speak the same language as me. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, that was, a few oh, times. man. Dude, I <laughs> do not miss that. I haven't thought about that since since the yeah. turkey days of having to be like, uh, yeah, shorter, but not too short. Like, oh, yeah. no, please don't do that. Yeah. It's, and then uh, also burning the hair out of your ears. Do they do that in Italy? Because that was a weird one. No, I think that's a very specifically Turkish thing because they do that in London in Turkish barbers, too. Interesting, interesting. Yeah. I should also clarify, other people will be allowed to talk at some point. When I say Ryan does things in a very particular way, I promise that is not a backhanded insult or even meant to be a backhanded compliment. It is truly a, like, uh, Ryan, I think at one point when I had once again failed to bring something with me, was sort of like, do, do you lose things often? And I was like, no, no, I don't. But in reality, yeah. yeah. And it's been a good thing <laughs> to learn, like, maybe maybe just take an extra minute to make sure you have all your stuff before yeah. you head out but- into the world. Basically, what you're saying is Ryan takes care of himself, yes. at, himself, and and the, the three of us don't. <laughs> Which is why the three month thing was so confusing. Mm. I think sounds like I'm a pain in the butt for the group, but hey, uh, <laughs> we we can talk that out in therapy at some point. Joining us, you just heard his voice, a man who survived Disney on Ice and lives to tell the tale, <laughs> Graham Rutherford. Hello, hello, Ryan Bailey. Yes, I survived Disney on Ice through the means of alcohol. I was the only person drinking at Disney on Ice, which I don't know whether that is my proudest moment or my most shameful moment. The you know how it is, Ryan, at these events at big gig con at big gig venues, the beer queue is normally very daunting. Not so much at Disney and Disney on Ice. I was the only person in the beer queue for that one. So you went to a public event in Scotland, and you were the only person drinking. What? Like, I'd expect at least a couple of the kids to be cracking open a bud or so. What's, what's going on here? <laughs> yeah, well, my daughter did have a Jack and Coke, you know, as a nice. standard for, for her at these sort of events, yeah. But <laughs> I, I know I joked about the um, 
the sporting difference between Disney on Ice and the Scotland national team yesterday. But I really shouldn't have because I have never seen Scott McTominay do what Tinkerbell did last night. The, the athletic achievement and kind of the trapeze, the trapeze artistry was quite, quite something. Or maybe I was just drunk by that point. All right, I'm going to not say the things I was going to say and move on to introduce our final guest on the show. Our guest, our host on the show today, returning champion Joe Lowry. Hello, he's pumped for the TSS mailbag and now the proud owner of a washer dryer. We're keeping the domestic theme going today, Joe. How are you? Yeah, yes, let's go from haircuts to Disney on Ice uh, to, to me buying appliances. Yes, I missed the show yesterday because... My uh, my wife and I are moving into a new place, and we got to do right. boring moving into new place things. And so mm. we went and went appliance hunting yesterday, which was exactly as exciting as it sounds. But at least we got the stuff, so we don't have to go appliance did, hunting again. So that is a win. Joe, Joe, did you find a washing machine that opens to allow you to put the clothes in, or was it one of those Raphael Varane branded oh. washing machines? <laughs> yeah, I was looking for one of those. I was like, where's the one that doesn't open because it never stops? And the, mm. the salesman just looked at me sort of blankly um, and kindly directed me towards the normal washing machine. So I guess I ended up at the wrong store. Maybe in France, Graham, they have those somewhere. Yeah, ah, right. They're very French. Those are paradoxical non-opening washing machines. Uh, unfortunately, Joe's ended up with a standard one you can wash his clothes in. Uh, I'm sorry, Joe. Does anyone else yeah. feel like Raphael Varane was just sort of venting some personal stuff there? Because I know that there are times that I will do a load of laundry and then leave the stuff in the dryer and kind of forget about it. And then you come back and it's all wrinkled and now yeah, you have to figure out yeah. how to navigate Sounds that. Sounds like you. I wonder if Raphael Varane has done something similar and is now sort of like using that as his analogy uh, to sort of uh, vent those frustrations publicly. And also, uh, shut up, Ryan. <laughs> Good stuff. We're all great friends oh. here, listener. Don't worry. Uh, Patreon.com slash Total Soccer Show if you want to see some exclusive videos of uh, Joe's washer dryer and um, uh, Taylor's haircut and Graham's uh, trip to Disney drinking with children at a, <laughs> a, a ice-based arena uh, and other stuff about soccer as well on our Patreon. So do join us there. It's a lot of fun. We've got plenty of listener questions. Let's get straight to it, shall we? Uh, Matt Adler. <laughs> straight to been, it. I say straight to it. We've been waffling for 10 minutes, but yeah. <laughs> that we have. <laughs> anyway, Matt Adler has been in touch. Thank you, Matt. How many of the 20 Premier League managers would you want for the USMNT? How many do you think would be interested if they left their current teams. Ooh, Taylor Rockwell. This is a very interesting question. I found from the list of um, Premier League managers who no longer have a job this season some good candidates, but mm -hmm. should we start with the, the remit here of managers in the Premier League who might fit the bill? Yeah, and I, I'll admit I was surprised by this one as well, because I think for how much we talk about teams underperforming or struggling to meet their potential, I go through the list and and it's most of them. I think it's it's yeah. certainly more than half. I would say, and and the ones that I would say no or I'm on the fence about, a lot of them are people that I'm just not as familiar with. So I couldn't say one way or the other. Like Gary O'Neill at Bournemouth, I would struggle to say one way or the other if I would think he would do a good job or how good he might do. And then some of that is also like new managers coming in. Though I do feel like I can comfortably say I don't think Roy Hodgson is the man for the USMNT. But if you run through it, I mean, Arteta at Arsenal, yes. Unai Emery at Villa, yes. Uh, Gary O'Neill, I mentioned, he's I'm on the fence slash no. Thomas Frank, I think, would be good. Roberto De Zerbi, based on what he's done so far, sure. I even think Graham Potter would be a, a smart hire given how well he got Brighton to perform. Uh, and then maybe he'll be looking for a new opportunity. So maybe he'll jump ship to the USMNT and it will all go well. Sean Deitch, we've talked about previously. He's on, he's on the list. Marco Silva. 
That one I'm a little undecided on. Same for Javi Gracia. I'll stop with, with, with the listing there and let somebody else pick it up. But the short answer is I feel like most Premier League managers would be good at USMNT hires yeah. for one reason or the other. I'm in the about 50-50 space. I could be convinced to put a couple more in the want category. I kind of divided it that way. I ended up with nine names on my want, maybe 10. I was maybe a little bit harsh with Lopetegui. I think Lopetegui, Unai Emery, Deserbi, Potter, Eric Ten Hag, Eddie Howe, Arteta, Thomas Frank, Pep, and Klopp. Those are, we'll call that my 10. I think you could move a couple of others up, but I'm not especially interested in, in Sean Dyche managing the U.S. men's national team. Conte, I left in the no category just mm-hmm. because you know, of everything. And we'll talk more about Conte on the big thing later on in the week. So I don't think it's it's like every single manager, but it's a lot of them. And to get to the second half of Matt's question, then Graham, I want to hear your thoughts on this. How many do we think would be interested if they left their current teams? My answer is like three. None. Yeah, like like it's it's in the very, very small percentage, which was kind of a reality check for me to think through this critically. Um, and we've sort of gotten to this more and more of, as we've talked about the USMNT open managerial position. Like, it's not as highly desirable as, you know, I think I initially thought it was back even before the World Cup started and, and in the past as well. I'm looking at Gary O'Neill, who just doesn't have a very strong pedigree and could use conceivably a big international job as a way to boost his pedigree. Ruben Sayas from Southampton and Javi Gracia, who's been in Spain and did fine to bad there and now is with Leeds. So, I mean, it's it's not a long list of managers that I think would be eager or even interested in taking over the USMNT. Yeah, I mean, quite frankly, and this isn't just a statement on the US national team, I think it's just a statement on international soccer in general. I would be surprised if the US was able to lure any of these managers away from a club in the Premier League. I think it's different if they get sacked from a job, they're looking for a new opportunity. But even someone like Gary O'Neill, he's probably thinking at this point, if I can keep Bournemouth up, then that is that is a launch pad, a launch pad for my entire career to, and, and as a Premier League manager. And that is just more attractive than an international job at this moment in time. I think it was Paul on last week's episode was running through he was using an example of what Jose Mourinho gets paid by Roma and then what US soccer is able to pay these the, 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 the head coach. And, it, and it's just, there's no comparison at all. And I'd imagine a lot of these Premier League uh, coaches, pretty much all of them really, maybe with the exception of someone like Gary Neal at, at Bournemouth, I'd imagine they're getting paid more than what the US can, can afford. So I, in terms of managers who I would like to be the US uh, men's national team head coach I only really came up with maybe two or three that I wouldn't I wouldn't want Sean Dyche um, surprisingly given how I have advocated for Dyche as an Everton manager he's not on the list just because I think for the current group of US players he's not a good fit um, Moyes is a tricky one because in terms of his traditional style of play no but then West Ham have played a slightly more expansive game these past two seasons but Weirdly, not this season. So I'd, I'd, I'd probably edge towards no with David Moyes at the moment. And then Gary O'Neill has already been covered. He's had a lot of airtime on this. <laughs> more airtime than he's had on this uh, episode than he's had all season yeah. long. But I'd probably say no just because as it's already been covered, we don't really know much about him. Ruben Sellers as well. I don't, I, I don't know much about him at the moment either. So I'd probably edge towards no with him as well. But yeah, doing this exercise and going down the Premier League table, it really struck me just how many excellent managers there are in the Premier League right now. There is, there's serious, serious depth. Yeah. To, to Ryan's point, though, I, I believe it was Ryan, when you look at the most recent sackings, that is where I do think mm-hmm. maybe there would be some interested parties when it comes to the U.S. Because Ralph Rangnick, we know, is already with Austria, but that might have been 
a, a potential success story. Scott Parker, I think, will take any gig you want to throw at him. Thomas Tuchel <laughs> might be less inclined, but Bruno Laga uh, maybe would. Steven Gerrard, Frank Lampard, Jesse Marsh, Patrick Vieira all feel like they would probably say yes if they were offered the U.S. gig. So maybe in sacked managers, we see where there would be more potential U.S. M&T managers overall. What What do we think about Vieira? Joe, I'm interested in your thoughts Mm. Uh, especially on this from a tactical point of view because we spoke about Vieira not so long ago and basically the TLDR was he is a bit of a pragmatist yes he likes his team to play with the ball but he doesn't really have a kind of a set style of play or approach is that is that your view of things as well or would he be a good fit for the US? So I'd have to go back through and watch more of his time with Crystal Palace um, to, to have firm thoughts on Vieira but generally speaking I think the pedigree is impressive and I was impressed with him at New York City. So I, I thought I thought he did have a pretty consistent approach with New York City, built on mostly playing with the ball. So in that way, I don't think you're really deviating all that much. And I know with Palace, he's dealing with a major talent advantage relative to the top teams in the Premier League. But to your to your point, Graham, what you just said, I think he did want to play with the ball there as well. And and the same goes for his time in Ligue 1 with Nice. So I, I think it's not a major departure from what the U.S. is doing under Berhalter, which is a key theme for me. I want to see the U.S. continue to develop in that style. Uh, the other factor here is it's just not fluid with the system, right, with, with the shape that he's playing. I think the approach is relatively consistent from Vieira. Pragmatic in moments, absolutely, especially at a talent disadvantage, which is key for a U.S. manager as well. But um, I think he does have some consistent principles that he wants to see executed. So, yeah, on the whole, I think Vieira could be a, a, a very – a very solid hire, not the most flashy hire you could possibly make. And I'm not sure it's the right one, but uh, I, I don't think I would be upset at that hire. Mm. Other one Frenchmen thing- are available, Joe, after all, right? 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 <laughs> well, one's already turned US soccer down <laughs> for right. that job. Yeah, Wait, I, I who think- is that? Zizou. Oh, okay. I was like, I, I was I, the only one I could think of was Henri. And I was like, yeah. I don't think he turned them down. That's okay, who I was yeah, getting Zizou. at. Ah. Yeah. Um, I think where I landed, Taylor, was on, on the list of, uh, Premier League managers who did have a Premier League job this season but no longer do, as you mentioned a few there. The, the four shortlist I had was Vieira, Bruno Lage, and Gerard and Lampard. And I kind of feel like Gerard and or Lampard, maybe no. together. Finally, we no. found a way to make them fit together internationally. They become co-managers of the USMNT. We've, we've solved the puzzle finally. But they both had such wild successes uh, during their time in the US as well, Taylor. So um, it, it all fits. It all makes sense. Uh, whoever's editing this one, get that ready. Uh, not only no, but f- no, is what I would say to that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Um, thank you very much. Uh, he said frick, by the way, listener, in case you didn't catch that. We're going to take a quick break on that one. Matt, thank you very much for the question. When we come back, we're going to revolutionize the U.S. Open Cup. Back shortly. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our listener questions sesh. Alliterations, Richard Rolston has been back in touch. Hi, Richard. U.S. Soccer 
has hired TSS consultants to improve the popularity of the US Open Cup and to make a bigger footprint on the US sports scene. What are some of the realistic ways you would improve the US Open Cup and make the competition more compelling? I believe I have solved this. Um, Joe, have you solved this? Because I've solved this. Oh, I've solved this. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Do you want it, You want me to run through some of my solves? I mean, this stuff's going to be like overnight fixes here. So the place I'm starting, fellas, we need a new logo. Anybody looked at the U.S. Open Cup logo recently? It It's not It's not great. So there's a sort of a red Googling outline of a, of a white trophy. And, it, and then there's two lines of font underneath. And it, it just looks like I made it in Canva. And, and I mean, Canva's great. I love Canva, but it looks like I made it. And that's that's not good because if I'm making it, that's a problem. So I think we need a brand refresh, genuinely. I, I'm being partially tongue-in-cheek, but the brand is not, it's not good, right? Like there's no, there's no real muscle behind it at this point. So I think that's one thing. Another thing here is the organization behind the U.S. Open Cup needs to do more, right? So there's a, a tweet from Mike Pendleton that came out yesterday and said, U.S. Soccer only gave teams 11 days notice on the streaming rules and guidelines for the non-BR matches. So the context here is U.S. Soccer gave their TV rights to Turner and, and I guess Warner Bros. Discovery Sports, you know, whatever the, the full title is there. The company that owns TNT and TBS and, and uh, Bleach Report and, and all of those different assets. And so Bleach Report is streaming some of the opening round matches, but not all of them. So this has all come out relatively recently. The U.S. Open Cup kicked off earlier this week. Clubs didn't know how or what they were going to be able to do in terms of letting their own fans see their own team's games at the biggest stage that they're going to get to play in. That's it, It's a little silly, and, and to be honest, it's embarrassing for the U.S. Open Cup. There have been general themes of a lack of organization, and all of those things for a while now, they, they need to continue to develop at an organizational level. And some of that, it, it's difficult, right? This is like a cart before the horse thing, right? Where does the investment come from to take this stuff seriously? There's not enough money in this competition. All of those things are problems, I've got a few other solutions, like maybe it helps to increase the, the the number of eyeballs on your competition if you get to play your games on the weekend instead. You know, the FA Cup is on the weekend. Like a lot of these major cup competitions are on the weekend, and the U.S. Open Cup games are on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursday nights, and it's just, it's never going to be the same thing. I know you have to convince other major stakeholders to let you do that, and that's really hard, and I'm not sure it's ever going to happen because MLS controls the weekends, right? Apple controls the weekends, and that's going to be difficult. But that and increasing the prize money feel important to me. And again, it is difficult to justify increasing the prize money because I would imagine they're generating very little revenue in this competition, if any. But right now, last I last I'd seen, $300,000 prize money for the winner, which is nothing, in, in so many ways, $100,000 to the runner-up, and $25,000 for each of the clubs from each lower division that makes it the furthest, which is actually, you know, kind of interesting and kind of something. That that probably does more than enough to offset travel costs for some of these clubs. So it's there's so many issues with the U.S. Open Cup, you know, branding, figuring out the broadcast stuff and actually communicating that out to teams a little bit sooner. Hopefully it'll be better next year, not in the first year of a TV deal. And starting to make this thing feel like a real contest by changing the schedule and, and, and sort of adding more on the line. All of those things mm. I think truly do need to happen. I'm not trying to shoot down your ideas, Joe, because a lot of these ideas are on my list as well. But do you truly believe that if they were to implement those things, it would actually have a material difference on the US Open Cup? Because this is a discussion that 
I can guarantee cup competitions around the world. It doesn't yeah. matter if it's the FA yep. Cup, the Scottish Cup, the Copa del Rey. They're having the same discussion yep. because, quite frankly, in the modern age of soccer, nobody really cares about these competitions, about cup competitions. So is there any way for the US Open Cup to feasibly become a mainstream competition tournament what? in 2023? Not. It, it really depends on how you want to define all those things, right? So if we're talking about a material benefit, I do think these things could help the U.S. Open Cup get more eyeballs on it. I think that is absolutely true. It's not going to help the U.S. Open Cup become a bigger competition than MLS or even than Leagues Cup, which is all of the financial might of two major sports leagues behind it. It's it's always going to be apples to oranges. But, you know, this could actually help the U.S. Open Cup go from like a, a clementine to an actual orange, right? It, it could help it. It could help it close the gap from where it <laughs> Joe, is right now relative Joe, you, to MLS. Joe, you've been picking oranges too much. I saw the picture from the backfield account yesterday. You've got it's oranges a, on the mind. By, also, by it's, it's it's spring here. Citrus is all we have in Arizona. It's all we've got. It's Team all we clementine can do. all the way. Thank you very much. Yeah. I will stay with clementines. V- Who needs an orange? Very much depends on the kind of orange. Um, just you know. Just huge differences between the varieties there, but anyway, it could help. It could help the U.S. Open Cup get like closer to MLS and into other soccer competitions in this country, and and maybe kind of mirror the gap right now between something like the Copa del Rey and the Liga or the FA Cup and, and the Premier League. I, I very much enjoyed Graham saying, I don't want to shoot down your ideas, Joe, but, but. Pew, 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 pew. <laughs> it's a good question though. Like genuinely. It's a it's a great question, Graham, because we talk so much about, you know, why isn't the US Open Cup a bigger deal here in the United States? And that's a symptom, I think, of of soccer fans in the US, and I fall into this category, of seeing how it's like other places and seeing that, you know, people do actually really watch these games and there seems to be like a, a legit infrastructure behind them and wanting that. But seeing that soccer is still growing in the US and it's hard to develop a, a foreign concept, and it's, it's, I guess, most similar to March Madness in terms of the US Open mm. Cup, which is where we are right now. But at a pro level, like this just doesn't really happen. So, it's easy to say, like, you know, we should make this more like they've got it, but it, it's also harder, I think, to get the context from an insular U.S. perspective to say that, oh, no, like, cup competitions all around the world are having major problem, problems yeah. right now. Here is one thing that does, I think, have a material difference in other comp- cup competitions, and that's having a national stadium. So in, in England, with the FA Cup, for a lot of the lower league teams, making it to Wembley is the prize so so for example Sheffield United beat Blackburn Rovers in the quarterfinals just last weekend and their fans are singing about we're going to Wembley and the players are holding flags with we're going to Wembley and and that is very much the 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 prize for those clubs Sheffield United are not going to win the FA Cup so for the big teams the prize is obviously winning it but then lower down the the ladder it's it's making it to a national stadium for the US that's just not feasible though because well where do you build a national stadium it's a giant country so can you imagine the crowd at a neutral ground but you know two teams traveling across the US to a, a, a US Open Cup final it would be a pretty pitiful attendance so I don't even think that's particularly feasible or realistic for the US yeah. Open Cup I think there's a couple of things for me the first is I think it's not a big deal because it's not a big deal I don't think anybody really prioritizes it as a, a big competition and I hear you when you say that that's sort of the case for domestic cups around the world I do correct me if I'm wrong but I do feel like People in England, maybe not as much as they used to, but care about winning the FA Cup. I feel like people in Scotland care about winning the Scottish Cup, at least more than, I think, global fans. And I think that's part of the issue, is that a global audience probably cares less about the FA Cup than they do about winning the Premier League, or certainly about winning the Champions League or going far in that competition. But I think on the domestic side, there will always be 
interest because, or at least some interest because of that history and what winning the FA Cup has meant historically, you don't really get that in the U.S. Open Cup, but I feel like you should because it was the thing that kept soccer going in the in the dark period when we didn't qualify for World Cups and leagues failed all the time. And so I think just making it more significant would go a long way towards making people care about it. In terms of how you do that, that is where it gets tricky. I do think ultimately what makes it better is if players care about it. And the way players care about a thing is if they get to win silverware. I think it's why MLS keeps creating new competitions is because you get players caring about this tournament and then that tournament and then the regular season and then the playoffs. And so I almost think if you like had a, if MLS wants to keep expanding, if you just made the U.S. Open Cup happen in a month and you basically started as a regional competition where everybody's playing in their own sort of conference or division, it's almost a solution to pro-rel at the same time. You have all of the different professional leagues in this one area playing. You have like a whip-around show that shows you everything that's happened and then slowly you work your way up and you make it a month-long thing. I think that could be really engaging and get a lot of eyes. Uh, but my ultimate solution, and I think I go with Joe, Careful that the that prize money. What's that? Careful with that phrase, I said. Your ultimate solution is... I didn't say final solution. I said ultimate solution. (laughs) Thank you very much. Uh, My ultimate solution, uh, to Joe's point, is I don't think that there is enough incentive to win it. I don't know who is going to fund uh, like additional money to make it this big competition. Here's what I'm going with. We need to find an airline. We need to find an airline that is willing to sponsor the U.S. Open Cup, and whoever wins the tournament gets charter flights for the next season, for the entire season. If they're USL, if they're MLS, whoever it is, they get their own private plane for a year after winning U.S. Open Cup. Right there, you are going to incentivize, and if you're worried about the carbon footprint, we offset by the worst-performing MLS team has to ride bikes to games. That's how it works. So I think um, I, I like it, but what if it's like Frontier and you have to sit on those like hard plastic seats for um red eye flights on frontier is is a charter frontier jet better or worse than say delta economy yes <laughs> sorry hey, i think not having to go through security you, you rip out some seats you get a little more leg room i think it works i think it works fair enough all right well for, for me uh taylor yourself and joe have touched on the the solution which i was leaning towards which is the march madific- madnessification of this tournament putting it in a month-long tournament, and raising the profile. If anything raises the profile of Eurosports as well, it's money. So you create a bracket challenge for the US Open Cup, like the March Madness one, but you put a big old cash prize. You make it half a million dollars, a million dollars. On top of that, you offer a million dollars for the winner of the competition itself. Frontier Airlines are putting his money up now, I've decided. Um, but basically, I think that, that's the way to do it. You, you, you make it an event like March Madness is. You condense it down and you incentivize and make it interactive with like a bracket challenge, um, which people could, you know, it could help people learn about the sport and it could help people, you know, people like to win money. Ryan, can you clarify what a bracket challenge is for me? I realize I'm <clears> probably <throat> the only one here who doesn't know what that is, but still. Sure, sure. So like for college uh, for, for college basketball, you have a bracket challenge where everyone fills out who they think is going to win and they, you fill it out all the way through to the final, basically. And this year, every single oh, so person is for fans. Yeah, yeah, for fans. All oh, right, okay, cool. So it's got a way it, of it, getting it. people to engage with the sport by doing a bracket challenge. And then on the pro side, on the, on the player side, you make a big prize money pot as well. There you go. Right. I win. I mean, this sounds quite similar to a tournament that's going to take place for the first time 
over a month this summer that we frequently reference on this show and use as a punchline for jokes on this show. Um, Leagues Cup, maybe taking the place of your US Open Cup idea? Uh, yeah, but no no group stages, no three-team groups, nothing like that. Just straight bracket, baby. And in one month and, um, yeah, more money. Okay, I'm in favor. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, well, I think we've all basically... Um, the hive mind has solved US Open Cup there, and uh, very interesting to see their logo as well. We need to get uh, on the Canva, Joe, to uh, yeah to come yeah. up with something alternate. Thank you very much, Richard. There'll be that. an orange. Yeah. Yes. The <laughs> Clementine Ball. That's what we do. We put we put the final in Florida. <laughs> we call it the Clementine Ball. Perfectly. Well, we're all there. Sorry, Arizona. That's, you, you've only got citrus, Joe. I don't want to take that yeah, away from you. Thank you. you Appreciate mentioned. it, uh, Richard. Thank you for the question. Trace Romani has been in touch on the MLS 360 broadcast. There was a gentleman on a gentleman on, excuse me, who was talking about MLS next. He brought up some new rules they were testing this season, and I was wondering, says Stress, what the crew's thoughts were on those. The two most interesting were that a player who received medical attention on the pitch is required to sit out for three minutes before returning to play. And that a red card suspension was to be served in the next game against the team to which you received the red card instead of just the next game. Two very interesting rules. One more feasible than the other, I would suggest, Graham. What do you think about uh, these new MLS Next proposed rules? So which one do you think is more feasible than the other? Uh, the medical attention one, the three minutes out, right. because having to serve a red card against the game, the, t- the opponent you uh, have just got the red card against, you could wait till next season for that exactly. red card. So that's why. Yeah, that's and what happens? What happens if that player is gone, or has got transfer, right. or is injured, or yeah. whatever? You know that that suspension just disappears into the into the ether. So I agree that one maybe not not so feasible. Um, the medical attention one, I guess, in theory, could cut down on time wasting. But there are actually many times when a player just needs checked out quickly by a physio or whatever before continuing. So it seems like maybe a disproportionate punishment, and I, I know it might be designed to help specifically with concussions and just giving players that time to assess themselves or rather to have other people assess them but I worry that you know if you're if you're having to spend three minutes out of a game I worry that you might get players playing on without any medical attention you know if you're if you're if you're a team and you're defending a 1-0 lead three minutes before the end and then you have to have a player go off I can imagine players just saying I'm fine I'm fine and they're clearly not fine and actually that whole that whole rule backfires in terms of 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 its purpose and for me the most interesting rule from MLS Next for this season, and Tom Bogart tweeted this out, is undoubtedly the rule that says the higher seed uh, teams in the playoffs pick their opponents in the first two rounds of, of the playoffs, which there is just such potential for drama there. It's just completely off the scale. Off the scale. There isn't a team out there that wouldn't take it personally if you picked like another team to... to, to to face in the playoffs. And I also wonder, like, how much tactical work are teams putting into that to pick a team that they think is a good matchup for them? Or would they just pick the lowest seed possible for fear of kind of being caught out and backfiring and picking a higher... There's just so much potential. My mind is boggling it. That's the most interesting one for me. Wait, is that actually happening? Because I yeah. completely missed that. And yeah, I'm now so confused and fascinated all just, at once. Just to lay the context here, because I think we're missing a little bit of it. So... First of all, to, to distinguish between MLS Next and MLS Next Pro, I, I'm I'm fairly confident that all these all rules right. are are for MLS Next Pro, which is the adult third division league on the men's side that MLS is responsible for. MLS Next is the youth setup for uh, for for MLS that they now run that took over after the DA was sort of disbanded. So that's context point one. The second context point is, as far as I can tell, 
both the three-minute rule and the red card rule were instituted last season. So I, I'm not sure where wires got crossed there, but they were instituted for the second half of last season. Uh, according to, I mean, I didn't watch any MLS Next Pro game, so I'm not, I'm not, I couldn't tell you for sure. But according to the internet and when uh, that was announced, that was for the second half of last season. The, the new rules for this year are the higher seed picking their opponents. Graham, you just talked about that, which I also think is the most interesting one. And the other new rule is a time substitution rule. So a player exiting the game has 10 seconds to get off the field. If not, their team plays a man down for one minute. So I, honestly, like you guys raised some good points about the the ones that were instituted last year. I kind of like all four of these rules. I really do. I can see that there are downsides here, especially you know talking about the three-minute rule. If your goal is to improve player safety and, and limit injuries, there is absolutely the risk that they just decide to carry on because they don't want to sit out for three minutes. I, I, I'm having a hard time figuring out how real that risk actually is. To me, it, it feels a little bit better to force them to take the three minutes. That way you don't tempt the, the team and the coaching staff to rush them off. But at the same time, maybe you'd rather trust the coaching staff and the medical staff rather than the players on something like this. So maybe it is detrimental. I'm not, I guess I'm not totally sure where I fall on that. I came into this feeling more positive about it than I do now. And the red card rule, like, who cares if the red card suspension isn't served, right? You know, like, you're going <laughs> to... That's a it, fair point. Like, like I, don't you want it <laughs> to benefit the team that was hurt by it, right? Like, if Jose Martinez, it, let's say MLS institutes this at some point, if Jose Martinez for the Philadelphia Union comes out and sly tackles Orlando City's Facundo Torres, like, Orlando are the one that are hurt by this. It's, it's Orlando that should get the benefit. And so if you want to increase the benefit tier for the suffering team... Yeah, like I think it makes sense if the player is transferred for somebody else to serve the suspension. Like I don't know. I think there's. I think this is almost something. I'm not sure it's all the way something, but I. Uh, I don't think that the next team that Philadelphia plays should benefit from the the suffering that Orlando incurred. So I don't know. Just here's, I, I kind of like it. Here's where I can bridge it, Joe. My idea would be that uh, if we're doing this specifically for violent conduct offenses, so let's say it's an aggressive two-footed challenge and that's going to be a three-game suspension with that straight red, you make it a two-game suspension for that season for the next two games, and then one of those games is against the opponent the next time you play them. And that way you get the best of both worlds. You get the cooling off period, but you also then get the sort of retroactive punishment for when they meet again. Uh, I, I like aspects of that one i i share graham's concerns about the first one i i think it feels a little bit to me like they're going out of their way to police time wasting as opposed to just empowering the officials more but then we look at uh was it was it this past world cup where they kept having like 11 minutes of stoppage yep. time and everybody was losing their minds so it feels like there's really no solution one way or the other people are going to be annoyed or confused and so it's do you want them to be annoyed or do you want them to be confused the decision is yours yeah, and on, on that red card thing, Joe, surely the the reason you have a, a suspension straight after those games is it's more of a deterrent rather than like, oh, it doesn't matter what my suspension is happening potentially next season. It's less, you know, it's more of a deterrent not to do the red card offense if well, you know you're going to get banned immediately afterwards. I guess I, I don't understand why. Like, why is that more of a deterrent to be banned tomorrow than to be banned like three weeks from now? I don't. It's the same, right? Well, just because the way the human mind yeah. works. <laughs> but, but I'm saying, like, that, that, like I'm saying it doesn't exists. make sense, right? Like, like, that doesn't make sense. If I'm going to go into a dangerous challenge, like, I know I'm going to be suspended. And not only did I hurt myself against this team that I don't like today, but I also hurt myself against this team that I don't like in a month. Like, I don't know. It, to me, it feels, it feels the same. 
Joe, I feel like you're slightly revealing your robot brain here uh, because I think a lot of people have trouble maybe delaying gratification and the idea of, oh, that won't even matter until six months from now. I'll, I'll take a vacation that weekend, I sure. think, is going to be a far more likely outcome. Uh, definitely, I think you, you can see it when the player picks up that second yellow that they didn't realize means they're suspended and they're like, oh, yeah. like you can just see the color drain from their face. I think being told, now nah, you can play like the very next game, but next season, in the early beginning of the season when yeah. the games don't matter, that that's when you're in trouble. I think it's in general, it's interesting that MLS Next Pro is testing these kinds of rules as as low level as a lot of those games are right now. And that's going to continue to be the case for a while. Um, there's talent there to be found for sure. The crew are playing a number of players that were in there with their MLS Next Pro team last year in St. Louis are, are kind of doing the same thing this year in their expansion season. Do you guys think to get back to the red card thing and then I'll and then I'll shut up? Do you think the number of red cards would increase? Like that's kind of what I'm hearing is if players mm. aren't really concerned about the consequences. You're saying, because that's the only really logical difference, I guess, between these two things. If you think the number of dirty plays would increase, then you shouldn't do the rule. But if, if you think they wouldn't really change that much, then I, I still don't see the downside all that much. P- potentially, in theory. I think late, late on in matches, there is, there is potential for that. I mean, I, my mind goes to the, the Casemiro suspension for the Arsenal game. Taylor, you'll remember that. And at that point, Manchester United were on a real run. There was talk about, are they Premier League title challengers? And Casemiro gets um, either sent off or, or, or he gets yellow card, to, um, accumulation of yellow cards before that game. And then he misses the Arsenal game. And he's so gutted for that because at that at that time, he has context for what that suspension means. Whereas next season, you don't know, you, there's no context in place for what next season means. There's no there's no way to, to know what that arsenal United fixture will mean next season so in my mind that's why you have it after the fact after the match and then like my final point would be joe that like i don't know if it would deter but i know i don't know if it wouldn't and so to me you're not necessarily fixing anything you're just making a change to make a change and then i guess seeing what happens but it, it doesn't feel like it actually really addresses that much like i said both of these feel like they're sort of addressing symptoms of a larger issue and maybe focusing on that larger issue would be a good idea, an interesting idea. Good stuff. All right, Trace, thank you very much for that question. Uh, I, I kind of like that MLS Next Pro are doing this at this level, by the way. What about I, if I, all those times, I do too, what about if all those times that you waste, if you are losing an extra time, you get that time taken off of the added time? So it's like, ah, oh, you took 30 seconds for your player to leave the pitch. So that's 20 fewer seconds you get in extra time. There we go. Now it's competitive timekeeping and you're punished for taking too long. Someone's a parent. I can see. Yeah, there we go. I like it. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> there we go, Shrez. Thank you very much for that one. Uh, Richard Gaines has come in with an excellent question here. Which defunct American soccer team would you bring back to be the next MLS expansion team? Guys, you don't even need to answer. I've got the answer. It's the Caribous of Colorado, merely because of those Western motif jerseys. You must have seen them, if not Google them. The Western-style jerseys with the tassels all over them. We need that in Major League Soccer. There we go. Shall we move on? Yeah. I mean, some of the names and the identities and the badges from the old NASL era is just... Just magnificent. I, 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 in my research for this, I came across the Calgary Boomers, which I think that term might have different connotations now than it did back then. <laughs> Just a team full of players using two fingers to type on their phones and complaining about the younger generation generation having it easier. You've got the Boston Beacons, the San Diego Sockers, spelled like socks you wear. I, I have like so many. 
We'll punch you. I have so many questions about that one. Um, I mean, I guess it beats having FC and United on the end of every team name. But yeah, the San Diego Soccers. Let's let's bring them back. It's a it's a conundrum because there's so many good names, but I'm not sure. Like the Rochester Raging Rhinos remains one of my favorite names in soccer history. I don't know if we're going to be putting an MLS franchise into Rochester. Uh, I love the Washington Diplomats. It's a great name. I think if you're going to bring them back, then you have to have a like loser leaves town sort of game with DC United, and then they just compete for who gets to be in MLS that season. My answer was the Chicago Sting. I want somebody to rival the Chicago Fire and uh, make them have to really sort of earned their place in Major League Soccer. Uh, The Chicago Sting played in NASL from 75 to 84. They won it twice. They're the only other team beside the Cosmos to have done that. And I learned, though they have a B mascot, they were yellow and black in their color scheme. They're named after the film, The Sting, which is set in Chicago starring Robert Redford and Paul Newman. So we make the movie poster, the logo. We make the colors into the the uniform, the colors of the poster. And now we've got two of the most suave uh, leading men in Hollywood history as our sort of like spiritual leaders. And I think we're going to win just fine of course that movie is about hucksters and committing fraud so maybe that's not a great foundation for the team but you know par for the course overall they they named a team after a movie i mean still not as bad as when detroit had the deal with gm i think it was that whatever the new release was that year is what the team would be called which is how we got the detroit safari which is a a strange one a strange one for sure and you have the Connecticut Bicentennials, which I presume they were named after Bicentennial Man. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Some, somehow before the film was released, some 20 years Robin before Williams the film was classic. released. I like it. I'm looking forward to the Chicago Jurassic World Dominions. They're, they're going to be a, a good one. Uh, Joe, who would we resurrect from American soccer past? All right, so I want to bring the Minnesota Kicks back, baby. Um, the, the logo is like a beautiful combination of baby blue, orange and white um, that are also called the kicks just in case that wasn't already very clear from when I said it just a second ago um, that name unsurprisingly was chosen in a uh, in a fan name contest yeah. so one thing we can always count on in life death taxes and really just interesting names from fan naming contests it's not soccer McSoccer face which is a big mistake <laughs> if we could actually get that going that would be my first pick but I mean it doesn't it, you really you really can't go wrong with picking any of these old NASL teams like the Philadelphia Adams the I mean the Toronto I mean there's just so many the Toronto Blizzard yeah. like they're all so good the names are so good um and it's it is kind of a shame that we don't have more of that I'd even take Minnesota Kicks over Minnesota United FC Oh, dude, I'm with you, Joe. And I'm assuming it's a rights thing. I'm assuming it's like too expensive to buy the name. But as I recall, I wouldn't go so far. Well, I just I could see I could see people sitting on that name as like, nope, I'm not selling it for nothing. And then (laughs) we see what happens. But I believe I'm correct in saying the Sounders, the MLS Sounders, were not going to be called that. They put out a fan vote and there were four options. None of them were the Sounders. and And the Sounders was like the right in one that won far far and away the most votes and it was going to have a different color scheme than the NASL team and they decided no okay we'll go with Sounders so there's precedent for taking an an NASL sort of property that name and the branding that goes with it and then sort of incorporating it back in I'm with you Joe I think that would be a really smart thing for teams to do because it just brings character immediately well and and one of the things here we, we talked about the U.S. Open Cup and sort of soccer in the United States versus soccer in other places around the world one of the arguments you always get for why teams rebrand to be boring, right? To be, uh, you know, LAFC, right? That's not a, it's not an interesting team name or any of those things. Is because you know they don't want to stick out, right? They want to be a part of the global game. Like I'm sure that's been included in like ten different rebranding press releases, right? Why you go from the Montreal Impact to CF Montreal is because you know we want to be a participating member of the global game. Blah blah blah. 
I do think it's interesting and sort of spits in the face of that argument that the biggest brand in Major League Soccer has a a wild NASL sounding name. Like it's the LA Galaxy. Yeah. Like that is the mm-hmm. that's the most recognizable brand in Major League Soccer. That's the one that you go around the world. You're going to see people wearing those jerseys. It's the one people are going to know. And they do it with a, a, a kind of a silly name. Like, you don't have to be just like everybody else. You can be something different and unique, and it's fine for MLS teams to do that stuff. Like, that doesn't automatically take you out of the running in transfer conversations or make you a joke. Like, I don't know. All that stuff is just it's, a little ridiculous, and I do wish we had some more creative names for sure. It's not just the Galaxy as well. I would say the Timbers have yep. a global footprint that that is bigger than most uh, MLS franchises. I think going back to the NSL era, there are obviously some silly names that maybe you wouldn't, uh, if we're being sober about it, you wouldn't want an MLS. But there are some excellent ones. And the one that for me, and look, this is the biggest NSL franchise, but it is, for, for my money, the best brand in American soccer is the Cosmos. I can't believe that American soccer has a brand with the resonance and the romance when all these all these MLS teams are, are spending millions trying to achieve that right now. We have there's there's an American uh, soccer team that had Pele playing for playing for them and they're in cold storage. Nothing is happening with that brand right now. That is that's just absolutely insane I mean, to me. So if we're being sober about it, that would be my, my answer. It'd be the Cosmos. They are the definitive team that is sitting on that brand name, waiting for someone to pay them for it. It, it. They're the first one that came to mind. Rocco Camiso, if he's still the owner, I can't imagine him letting that one go to not be involved with it, with them going to MLS. Then you also have another team playing in New York, but not playing in New York. But I'm with you, Graham. That is, I was looking around because I thought for a moment I was wearing my Cosmos shirt as as a, a point of emphasis for what you're talking about. They are still the other huge brand that would make sense. But let's put them somewhere that isn't New York and then make it even more confusing. The Hartford Cosmos. Let's do that. <laughs> very nice. All right, Richard, thank you very much for that question. we got a couple more coming right after this short pause. Back shortly. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, 
Promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. Hey folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early, there are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation, there's going to be offers coming through willy-nilly, there's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there, there's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain, there are many things to deal with, and unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively, but for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. We're taking your listener questions, including this one from Lana Rhodes. Is Cristiano Ronaldo using his time at Al Nasser to improve his coaching skills? Many star players struggle to become great coaches. So for him starting now to train and to try and improve players that don't have the skill he had at his peak, will he be better off when he becomes a manager? Okay, Joe, for, for starters... Ronaldo's already become a manager. He famously managed Portugal in the Euro 2016 Naturally. final uh, and guided them through that game. <laughs> I didn't. I wasn't aware he was doing coaching stuff in Al Nasser. Were you, Joe? Uh, no. Um, so yeah, I, I think ultimately the answer to this question is is no. It's more about the pocketbook than it is about setting himself up for a future career on the touchline. I I, I do think there's something to the idea that star players struggle to become great managers right off the bat, right? There's this really great, and Taylor, I know you referenced this, and it's it's the perfect touch point for this conversation. There's a mic'd up video of Thierry Henry on the sidelines when he was coaching CF Montreal. Maybe they were the impact at that point. I think they actually were the impact still. And you can just see his, his irritation yep. with all these incompetent players who are incredible soccer players, but not Thierry Henry. Like, you can even see at some points in the CBS studio, I feel like, where he's doing Champions League coverage, and it's like, dude, do the thing. Like, do what I would do. Just be a legend of the game just he why did is that so hard Monaco. for you 
It wasn't even just an MLS thing. He did with Monaco. He turned and banged one of the top corner and screamed at his forward. It's not that hard. Just right. do that. And it's just like, okay, Thierry, chill out, so, dude. So there's there's like totally something to this idea that really, really good soccer players struggle, I think, to realize that not everybody can just be them. So Henri is the one that stands out there. I, I also think there are plenty of stars that have become winning managers. That's just true, right? Johan Cruyff is a good example. Xavi right now, I think, is developing into a a good coach. Maybe not a great one, but a good coach with Barcelona. It helps, obviously, when you have a, a bunch of talent at your disposal. Ronaldo just doesn't seem like the managerial type to me. Like, he never has uh, the Portugal Euro 2016 incident not, notwithstanding. <laughs> I just, I really struggle to see that. His personality type doesn't feel like it lends itself well to that position. I, I've never read or heard anything about Ronaldo ever wanting to do that stuff, so... I would be really, really surprised if this happened. The other Ronaldo thing, not to derail us, I don't know if you all saw this. He said recently, because I hadn't looked at Ronaldo. I hadn't looked up anything about him since he made the move. We haven't really talked about him. So I, I was kind of flying blind coming into this question. And he's, he's got nine goals in eight games in Saudi Arabia, which is about what you'd expect. He had a comment recently that was like, you know, the level here has pleasantly surprised me. In six, seven, eight years, I could see this becoming the fourth or fifth best league in the world. Does Ronaldo know how time works? Like, yeah. I guess Saudi Arabia Someone... have all the money, but this is, I mean, if this is going to happen, which it's not impossible. Again, there is a ton of money. And we is. talked a lot about Saudi Arabia stuff on this show before we did a whole big thing episode about it. When Ronaldo moved, they were trying to invest in sports as, as a big part of their sports washing program. But like, that's an insane thing to say. Like, that's a crazy person thing yeah. to say. Like, that's... Uh, that yeah. it's never been more clear to me that Ronaldo doesn't understand like normal life or how like most people <laughs> operate and how business operates than so in it, that moment. Was it six? Was it six, seven, eight years? You said I don't think so. Five. I didn't write it down. This is just from memory. Six plus seven plus eight is what he meant. Okay, whatever it was. Let's say it was four, five, six. Someone sure, in the Discord men- uh, mentioned. Did he mean four hundred and fifty-six <laughs> years? <laughs> See, Which I, I thought it was a good joke. I just like that he comes from the the Demolition Man school of timekeeping. Demolition Man, a movie that came out, I think, in nineteen ninety-three, that posited by nineteen ninety-six, the entire United States would will have crumbled and be in this sort of dystopian future i feel like they didn't really get the timing right on that one ronaldo i think doing similar timekeeping or maybe just saying pr spin because that's what he's paid to do that also feels pretty likely joe i agree with you i i don't think he is there to become a manager i think there's a little bit of presupposition in this question about that uh to me he is there to make money maybe he's helping the other players but he's helping the other players in that He's saying like, oh, this is what I learned taking free kicks. But I think that's something that kind of happens whenever a a, a new player joins a team and has a bit of extra expertise. I also think that overall, I don't know if he will go into management. And if he does, I don't know if he'll be successful because I think a lot of the time star players are just that they're star players and they're kind of treated accordingly. They are the kind of elevated status. And so if you bring that identity into management, which is what I think Johan Cruyff did, it sets you apart. It makes you this unique individual who has this vision for the way things are supposed to be. But otherwise, I think sometimes it leads to awkwardness because basically you've been a world apart. You've been in this elevated status for so long. I think it makes it hard in some some ways to relate to teammates and be able to identify with young players coming through because it's been so long since Ronaldo was a 17-year-old doing too many stepovers. He's a billionaire many times over since then. And I think relatability is something that is a key part of being a manager. It's why I think Guys that were really good glue guys and chemistry guys end up being good managers, guys who weren't necessarily the big, big stars, but the ones who kept teams together and kind of functioned even after they were past their prime are the ones who then tend to kick on in my mind. Yeah, I I think I agree with the sentiment that he doesn't 
appear to have the temperament to be a good coach. And as we've mentioned, star players can do it. Zidane is, I suppose, another example. He did okay. Well, he's done okay as a manager as well. But I can't imagine taking orders from, from yeah. Ronaldo. And and Zidane is, a, is an interesting case study because I read, I wish I could remember who the quote was from, but basically it was someone who knew Zidane well and they said they never thought for a moment that Zinedine Zidane would go into management. They never really thought that that was something that he desired to do. And so star players can surprise you. I mean, um, Paul Scholes, I know he's not gone into management, but when Paul Scholes retired, I thought we are never going to see Paul Scholes ever again. He's now not off the TV in the UK. He's on like every TV show. So people do surprise you. I My prediction is Ronaldo will be a manager, a very bad one, but some, someone somewhere will give him, whether it's in Saudi Arabia, whether it's Peter Lim at Valencia, like they did with Gary Neville, oh. someone somewhere will hire Ronaldo as like a marketing ploy or whatever, and it'll go poorly. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I think he will get a job somewhere just because he's Cristiano Ronaldo. Yeah. I, I actually think, Graham, is it more likely in the next five years he becomes a manager or keeps playing? I could see him more likely playing to his mid-40s. Then, um, oh yeah, who's going to tell Ronaldo to stop playing? I mean, Eric yeah. Ten Hag tried it and eventually just had to drive him to Saudi Arabia. <laughs> so yeah, that's not going to go well. No, I think yeah. that's a good shout, Ryan. Especially with Zlatan still scoring goals at what forty-one. Yeah. I could see Ronaldo taking that as a challenge of I'm going to be Gordy Howe and play till I'm fifty. There we go. There we go. All right, Lana, thank you very much for that question. Let's go to Dan Degnan, another alliterative name. A bit of a premise for the question. We know that Joe loves it when announcers say, should have done better, and all those related permutations. What if at MLS All-Star Weekend, there was a should have done better event in which announcers are put into the situations where they claimed a player should have done better? One nomination per club, the announcer can pay 25 grand to a charity of the players choosing or attempt to show how they can do it better. Which announcers pay, try and fail, and try and succeed? Secondly, which type of should have done better opportunity would you trust yourself to convert? Joe, what do you think? Should have done better with this question? I think it's a good question. I love this question. I absolutely love this question. This uh, this appeals to me in every single level. So just to recap, to make sure I understood it, I don't want to go on the wrong premise here. So the idea is you can either pay $25,000 as an announcer yep. or you can try to do better, right? That's that's the breakdown. So you, you do one of those things or the other. Okay. Yep. First of all, um, I think we got to lower this amount of money because <laughs> there's not enough money in the game for uh, for folks to be out here dropping 25k in most situations for uh, for an all star event in the MLS broadcaster space. Not that there aren't some people that make a, a really nice chunk of change, but it's it's not that good of a job. So let's let's back up one or two <laughs> levels there. Um, so I, I think most former pros are going to try it, right? Like, I think former pros are going to try to go out there and do better because they might actually believe that they could do better. My whole issue, by the way, just to, to explain with the phrase should have done better is that it just completely dismisses how hard it is to score goals. Like, I, it always makes me think, like, have these people ever played soccer? And often it is the former pros that are saying it. But you can go back through and watch their tape and they're, they're doing the same stuff, right? It just, it's so illogical to me. It doesn't make any sense. So all that said, I think the former pros are still going to go and, and do it. So Twelman... Holden, Marisa Du, Kobe Jones, BWP, Sasha Kleschian, maybe not. He was more of a 10, but still, maybe maybe Sasha, Lloyd Sam. I mean, all, a lot of these folks who are in the MLS space that are doing Apple stuff or, in, in Holden's case, still stuff with Fox, I think they're going to give it a whirl. And I think most of the color commentary folks are not because <laughs> they didn't play soccer at a super high level. You know, maybe there's a you few play, in there. You and mean go, play by play, right? 
Yeah, yeah, sorry, sorry, play by play. That's my bad. Um, you know, maybe maybe there's a few that would give it a shot. Keith Costigan was a, a former player, right? Isn't that, I think that's a thing. Um, oh, Keith Costigan is definitely giving it a shot. There's no yeah. chance he's just paying the money and not doing it. So there's there's some, but in, in general, yeah, I think it's most of the former pros that back themselves, even though I think that's a pretty yeah. foolish thing to do. Yeah, I think there is a certain level of ego. I think even announcers have to have ego. You have to have that confidence and that belief that what you're saying is correct and you are the one to narrate this game. I think the majority of people, especially if it were like five grand instead of 25, yeah, yeah, I think yeah. the majority of people are doing it, except for the ones like John Strong, I feel like has nothing to prove. John Strong is just paying up. But I, I do think Twelman, for example, I think Taylor Twelman uh, does it, fails, then goes double or nothing, uh, succeeds the second time and still pays the 50 grand or whatever it would be out of like gentlemanly order. I think Clint Dempsey fails because he doesn't care. Then Thierry Henry comes in and does it. Then Clint Dempsey does it because now Thierry Henry has done it. <laughs> I'm not going to look worse than Thierry Henry. I think there's a level of competitiveness that would have to be factored in. I think Landon Donovan tries it and does it right away as well. Uh, not necessarily in the MLS space, Taylor, but I'd like to see Ray Hudson step up for this <laughs> as well. It's just, it's just they don't even start the competition because he's too busy narrating all of the yeah, aspects exactly, of yeah. the competition. <laughs> it's like, okay, Ray, put your metaphor and simile book down and let's yeah. get to the competition, please. And, and then the player has to colorfully uh, an, yeah, analyze it with uh, as many <laughs> similes and metaphors as well. Uh, Graham, if anything, we've answered this question too well so far. What do you think about this uh, cliche of should have done better? Yeah, I echo much of the sentiment on who would do well with this. I mean, pretty much just everyone on the MLS Apple broadcast, apart from maybe Weeby, especially if he's wearing those dress shoes with no socks again. Oh. Uh, oh. I can't imagine that is conducive to uh, should have done better challenge. But um, yeah, how do do we? Socks how do we are think in, we'd... Andrew. Socks are in. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. Um, how do we think each of us would do ourselves with this challenge? Yeah. As in which badly, well, I would say very yeah, badly. The other me. part of the question is which which kind of opportunity would we trust ourselves to convert? Uh, I would say um, for me, it's a complete whiff of the ball. Who was it in the Classico? Someone completely whiffed it and missed the ball at some point. I forget. Who oh, I think it was, was. Vinicius and then yeah. scored. Or it, it was it was like a whiff and then he gets a second chance and scores. I forget. So we're talking about was. Raheem Sterling a couple of weeks ago. Oh, maybe that, that was he, it. He maybe did that, that against yeah. Dortmund. Yeah. yeah, I think that is the one circumstance where I trust myself to convert. Uh, I'm not going to say I'm going to do like an overhead kick or anything like that. Yeah, I mean. <sighs> If a ball is sort of rolled across the six-yard box at slow pace with no goalkeeper in the goal, then maybe that's the should-have-done-better challenge that I win. Same. But, uh, yeah, beyond that, I wouldn't fancy my chances. (laughs) Taylor, any any, uh, scenarios you trust yourself to have done better? Yeah, I think it is, like what you all have already said, it's the desperation one where like, oh, he should have gotten on the end of that one at the back post. Like, if you're just making it about effort and intensity, I feel like I can pull it off. If it's something like shooting uncontested from different from distance, 100% chance I'm missing that one. Because right as I go to strike it, that millisecond before I hit the ball, my brain would be like, it would be embarrassing if you missed right now. And then I'm going to sky that chance. That's how my brain works. It's super fun. Uh, so yeah, I think anytime there's a spotlight on you, it's going to be more difficult. If you're just sort of making a chaotic run into the box and hoping to get on the end of something, I, I feel like I have a better chance. It's less thinking, basically. Just just to be clear for me, if if I have to sprint to a ball at the back post and like slide in and snag that, that's that's not happening. Like I need a slow roller. I think that's more what Graham was was getting to. Like I want mm. this ball crawling towards me, just in front of the goal mouth. That's the moment. Because I mean, everybody's seen those clips, right? I think Fernando Torres had a couple of them that went relatively viral, where it's like. 
you are just so close. And it almost took more to miss than it did to make that one. Those are the ones that I want. Uh, Taylor, I'll leave the the sprinting to the back post ones for you. That's fair. Uh, full disclosure, I have played on the same team as Dan for, I don't know, five years at this point. Uh, Ryan, I don't think you knew that when you picked this one. So I, I have now messaged him to ask him if there's one he thinks I would do well on. Uh, I don't know if he'll respond in time, but I suspect he'll say, <laughs> no, you'd mess all of them up. Yeah. He probably won't respond in time because I'm going to end the episode right now, Taylor. So uh, we'll we'll end on that cliffhanger. Um, he said, um, "I hope Ryan doesn't end the episode right now." Weirdly, yeah, weirdly, awkward. weirdly pressing. Wow, awkward. <laughs> Thank you very much, Dan, for that one. I, I would like to hear some of his insight. Maybe we can put that on the Patreon at some point. Uh, I'm sure he'd give us many learnings from the world of Taylor Rockwell. And by the way, Weeby. I don't mind the no socks thing. You do you, bud. You do you. Uh, thank you very much, Graham, for your contributions in this here listener questions episode. Thank you, Ryan Bailey. It's just too much leg. It's just too much leg. Oh, I don't mind a bit of leg. Hey, right? Yeah? Mm, yeah no socks? Yeah. Mm, yeah? I like it. I like it. Joe, thank you hour. very much. We're over an hour. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Ryan. <laughs> Taylor Rockwell, uh, last chance for any text messages you've received in the last few seconds? Uh, no text messages have come in, but thank you all for this one, Ryan. Thank you for the only slightly overt sexual thing at the end of the episode. Well done. <laughs> Uh, that's all I can aim for in any episode, Taylor. You're welcome. Listener, thank you for joining us in this one. We'll be back on the feed very shortly. Do look out for our big thing coming very soon. Another slight uh, innuendo there. Anyway, bye! Bye!